I'm going to borrow your Bible if that's cool. Can we give a round of applause for Joshua who's going to be preaching today? Is this your first sermon that you've preached? Nice. Amen. Amen. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're continuing our study in the book of Colossians. We're going to start at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So we're going to start where we left off from last time. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And we're going to read till verse 23 because the focus will be uh, verse 21, 22, and 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. <laughs> Thank you guys. This is a, a real privilege to be able to talk to you guys tonight. And I wanted to start off by asking a question. And the question might sound ridiculous to some of you. Um, but I don't think it's ridiculous. And I don't think the Apostle Paul would think it's ridiculous. And, and that question is, will you be a Christian when you're 30? I, I think that most of us assume, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian now. I don't plan to not be a Christian. So I'll be a Christian when I'm 30. But really, like, how do we know that we'll, be, we'll still be believers when we're 30. I know for me, a lot of the kids that I went to youth group with are no longer believers. And I'm 32 years old. And I would say the majority of the people that I was friends with in my youth group no longer profess Christ. And so I think today we'll see in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, um, just how the Apostle Paul um, is saying that this question 
really is important, and it's something that we all need to consider, and we need to know how it is that we can stay a Christian when we're 30 years old, 50 years old, 60, and all the way through the end of our lives. So I want to ask God uh, for help, that he would help us in this, and, um, and then we'll get into our passage for today. Heavenly Father, we are, are so thankful for your word, God, that, um, that truly reveals our hearts to us, um, that shows us uh, if we are in the faith or not. It shows us um, if we are self-deceived. It shows us um, where we can have confidence. And so, Lord, we pray for your help, God, now that you would open our eyes to see uh, the word that you have for us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would, would press it upon our hearts, Lord, that we would, um, we would see it and believe it, Lord, that we would know um, the great things that Christ has done to reconcile sinners and that we would know how it is that we can stand firm in our faith in him, and that truly it's going to be him who sees us through um, from beginning to end. He's the one who saves us today, and he's the one that saves us to the end. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us um, just great confidence in our Savior, um, that we can stand firm for our entire lives. Um, Lord, this is a work that only you can do, and so we pray, Lord, that you would do it. And God, we pray, too, that if there are are Students in this room, anyone in this room who, who does not know you, who truly is not reconciled to you, Lord, we pray that you would do that tonight, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I had Clifton uh, read the, the passage from last week because I think it's so important that we see uh, this week's passage in light of last week's passage. Because last week we saw just the supremacy of Christ. And, um, and Paul shifts our attention from the supremacy of Christ down to you. So I just want to spend some time looking at 15 through 20 really quick, just recapping what we saw last week um, so that we can just kind of see uh, this amazing thing that Paul does starting in our passage today in 21. So in verse 15, Paul said that, that Christ is the image of the invisible God that he has the first place uh, over all creation. And he says in 16 that Christ uh, made all things in heaven and on earth. And he says in 17 that Christ is holding all things together. And then he says in verse 18 that Christ is the firstborn from the dead, that he was, he was dead and then he was raised to life and never to die again, and that he would have the first place in everything, in creation and in the new creation. And then in verse 19, it says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And then in Colossians 1, verse 20, it says, uh, well, Paul explained that Christ is reconciling all things to himself. And he explains that the all things he's referring to are all things on earth and all things in heaven. That Christ is going to bring all things back into harmony with God. The rebellion against him will be over. 
And then at the end of verse 20, Paul says that this cosmic peace that Christ is establishing is coming on account of the blood of his cross. And so by the end of verse 20, we're left just marveling at the scope and magnitude of Christ's work on the cross. And in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, which we're studying tonight, Paul takes this glorious truth of Christ reconciling everything, and he applies it to the Colossians. He goes from this grand cosmic level to the intimate and personal. He says this same Christ who is reconciling the entire cosmos has also reconciled you. Paul wants the Colossians to see how Christ's great work of reconciliation affects them. And remember, the Colossians were being tempted by others around them to think that Christ was not enough. That they needed to do certain things and not do other things to be right before God. That they needed to know the right people who had the right knowledge who could help them advance in their spiritual standing before God. And Paul is saying to them here that the only one who can reconcile you has reconciled you. And he did this to make you stand completely spotless before God. So don't put your faith in anything else. The Colossians needed these reminders, and so do we. So my hope for tonight, as we study Colossians uh, verses one, or chapter 1, verse 21 to 23, is that we will see four aspects of reconciliation so that our faith will stand securely on the one true gospel. We'll look at four aspects of reconciliation so that our faith will stand securely on the one true gospel. The first aspect is our need for reconciliation. Our need for reconciliation. Look at verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Notice how Paul describes who the Colossians once were. He says they were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And of course, the question is, who were they alienated from? Who were they hostile towards? And the answer is God. They were alienated from God. They were hostile in mind towards God and doing evil deeds against God. So let's look at the first word, alienated. Alienated means to be estranged, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. If you're alienated from someone, it means you no longer have any part with them. Your relationship is severed. It would be like if, if you ran away from home tonight and, and never returned again, never to give a phone call to your family, uh, you would be alienated from your family. And Paul is saying to the Colossians that this was their status with God. They were alienated. And this was our status with God, too, before Christ. We were created for intimate communion and fellowship with God, but we wanted nothing to do with him. We ran from him. We did everything we could to shut him out of our lives. We wanted no fellowship with him. If we heard his voice, we, we stopped our ears. And God is holy, and we are not. God desires obedience, and we desired rebellion. God delights in righteousness, and we delighted in sin. 
God is light. We were darkness. What fellowship does light have with darkness? If his light shone on us, we hid from it. We had no place in his kingdom. Then Paul says, you were hostile in mind. The next word he says, you were hostile in mind. And this literally is translated as enemies in mind. Enemies in mind. Not only were you alienated from God, you were his enemy. And this word enemy is not just like passively enemies. Like, I just, yeah, like I, I don't like God, but it's cool. Like I don't, he stays out of my business, I stay out of his. No, it, this word uh, enemy means you are actively an enemy. He says that, uh, I'm sorry, he says the word translated um, Yeah, you weren't just passively an enemy, you were an enemy in mind. And the word translated mind here is also translated as heart in the Greek Old Testament. This describes who you are deep down in your, your heart, your disposition. And Paul is saying at the very core of your being was a deep hostility towards God. And this word for hostile or enemy is, is pretty intense. It, it implies an irreconcilable hostility proceeding out of a personal hatred bent on inflicting harm. So Paul is saying to the Colossians, God was your enemy and, and you hated him with all of your being. If you could have harmed him, you would have. And this is why we need the Bible. Because I'm sure some of you are thinking right now like, man, the Colossians must have been really wicked because I was never like that. But only God knows who we truly are deep down. And we need him to reveal our hearts to us in his word. His word says that you too were an enemy of God before Christ saved you. You were no different than the Colossians. When God looked into your heart, he saw nothing but hostility towards him. And Paul continues in verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, he says, doing evil deeds. Doing evil deeds. And the natural outworking of a person filled with hostility towards God is evil. If you've ever harbored bitterness in your heart towards somebody, you know how hard it is to do a good thing for them with your heart truly wanting to do a good thing for them. Even if you can convince yourself to perform an act of kindness, deep within you is this smoldering hostility the whole time you're doing that act. Some of you haven't experienced that yet. Just wait till you have roommates. I think you'll know. But I'm sure you guys got siblings, so you know how it feels. Um, so if this is how we feel with one another, how much more so if you're an enemy of God? And that's who you are to the depths of you. If God is righteous and commands you to be righteous as he is righteous, how could you, his enemy, ever do one righteous deed from your heart for him? And the answer is you can't. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
And Paul says, a hostile mind does not and cannot submit to God's law. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Colossians. He characterizes their former way of life as one that was nothing but evil deeds. And up until this point we were saved, this could be said of every single one of us. We spent our days doing nothing but evil deeds. So we're beginning to see the impossible situation that any of us are in apart from Christ. Like, do you feel your need for reconciliation? Because left to ourselves, we would still be alienated, enemies of God, doing evil deeds with no hope of ever doing anything different because at the very core of our being lies a deep-seated hostility towards God. But praise God, this is not the end of the story. There is a way of reconciliation, and that's the second aspect we're going to talk about, the way of reconciliation. And we see that in verse 22. It says, And, and you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You who, who, sorry, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. And who is the he that Paul is referring to? It's, it's Christ. And we read 15 to 20 earlier so that we could just get this idea of who the he is, that it's Christ, the image of the invisible God. He has reconciled you, the one who reigns supreme over all things, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of the new creation. He has reconciled you, the enemy. He has taken you, an alienated enemy of God and made you a friend of God. That's what it means to be reconciled, to go from being God's enemy to being his friend. Reconciliation means you were once an enemy, but now you're a friend. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, God calls you his friend. And for anyone in this room who is in Christ, God calls you his friend. Just think about that for a moment. You ran from God. You burned with hatred towards him. You covered your ears when you heard him speak. You lived in complete rebellion against him. And now he calls you friend. And how did this happen? Look at 22 again. It says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Paul says that the way the Colossians became, became friends of God was in Christ's body of flesh by his death. So usually when two people are seeking reconciliation, the person who wronged the other person must make amends for their wrongdoing. The offender needs to at least give some sort of heartfelt apology for the thing that they did wrong in order for reconciliation to be possible. But Paul here makes no mention of any act or change of heart on the part of the Colossians. They were enemies through and through. Instead, he says that Christ accomplished their reconciliation in his body through his death. Christ made amends with God on their behalf, and he did this by taking on flesh and dying. The image of the invisible God, creator of all things, became a man. He dressed himself in the rebel's uniform, so to speak, becoming a man. And he did this so that he could die in their place, in our place. 
Christ took on flesh so he could die the death that we deserve. And Paul is saying here that he did this so that we could be reconciled to God. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could become the friends of God. So we could ask, what did we do to be reconciled to God? Nothing. What did Christ do for us to be reconciled to God? (laughs) Everything. He made the way of reconciliation. And there's nothing more that needs to be done, and there's nothing more that can be done, because the reconciliation that Christ accomplished is a complete reconciliation. God's wrath has been extinguished completely. Your disposition has been changed. You are no longer an enemy enslaved to evil deeds. You are a friend of God who delights in righteousness. You want to be in the light as he is in the light. You enjoy fellowship with him. You're eager to hear his voice. It grieves you when you rebel. And you long to be free from sin. You desire to stand before him in purity. And this is exactly what Paul says is going to happen as he explains the third aspect of reconciliation. In verse 22, at the end, he explains the purpose of reconciliation. Look at it. He says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In order to. He says the purpose for which Christ reconciled you is ultimately to present you before God on judgment day completely free from all sin. And he's not talking positionally like if you're in Christ today you already are positionally cleansed from all sin when God looks at you he sees Christ he sees Christ's righteousness but Paul is saying here that there will come a day when Christ will present you before God and you will no longer have any sin you will be completely holy and that word holy means pure or clean or set apart for God's use. He says, you're going to be holy. He says, you will be completely blameless. Blameless means literally unblameable, faultless, without blemish. And he says, that's going to be you because of Christ. And he says, you will be above reproach. And above reproach literally means free from accusation. Nobody can accuse you of anything. That will be your condition standing before God on Judgment Day. So if you went to a a job interview today, and the interviewer was like, so, tell me about yourself. And you were to say something like, well, I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm above reproach. Yeah. Uh, What do you think would happen? I mean, would anybody believe you? Like, seriously, like, no. But Paul is saying that this will be something that you can say someday. Someday you will stand before God who sees straight into your heart and you will be holy, blameless, and above reproach. Because Christ is the one who's going to accomplish that for you. 
And it'll be completely true of you for all eternity. And Paul's saying here that if you've been reconciled to Christ, this is the very purpose for which he reconciled you. But the question is, how do you know if Christ has reconciled you? How do you know if this is going to be true for you? And Paul tells us in the next verse, and this he gives us the fourth aspect of reconciliation. It's the evidence of reconciliation. The evidence of reconciliation. So he says, I'll read from 22. He says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul's saying that this is going to be true of you if you continue in the faith. And actually, he's not just saying that this part of like you will be presented holy is true of you if you continue in the faith. He's saying the whole thing, that you've now been reconciled if you continue. He says you will be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach if you continue. And this is the human responsibility side of salvation. God works by his grace and through his spirit to save and per- preserve his saints But at the same time, the saints are called to persevere, to continue in the faith. So Paul is not saying here that you are now reconciled, but you might not get to heaven blameless. He's not saying that. He's saying that all of verse 22 is attached to this condition of continuing in the faith. So the evidence that you have been reconciled is that you are continuing in the faith. And so what does it mean to continue in the faith? Well, Paul describes it. He says it's stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And I don't think Paul means here that you can never have doubts. I think we would all be in big trouble if that were the case. And the reason I, I, I don't think that, that he means you can never have doubts is because Paul seems to be using some terms here that are used to describe buildings. The word translated as stable means laying the foundation, like laying the foundation for a building to be built. Jesus uses this word in Matthew 5, 24 and 25 when he was teaching about building your house on the rock. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded, same word, on the rock. It had been founded on the rock. The house did not fall because it had been built on a rock-solid foundation. And Paul is saying the same thing about your faith. It must have a rock-solid foundation It must be firmly grounded. And the next word he uses to describe continuing the faith is steadfast. And this word translated steadfast also has its background in the world of building. And it means 
solidly based or well-seated. Think something like just well-seated right on something so that it's securely positioned. It's not going to fall over. And Paul says that your faith needs to be firmly grounded and well-seated. And the question is, of course, on, on what? What is our faith to be grounded on and seated on? And if you look down at verse 23 again, it says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul is saying that your faith must be firmly grounded and well-seated on the gospel you heard. The gospel, Jesus Christ crucified in your place, raised on the third day so that you can stand before God blameless for all eternity. Paul says, don't shift from this hope. This is the rock you build on. This is the ground you stand on. Remember, there were, there were people in Colossae that were preaching a different gospel. And the Colossians were being tempted to think that they needed something more than Christ in order to be saved. That Christ was not sufficient to bring them all the way before God into eternity and have them stand before God faultless. And Paul's saying, no, this is it. Christ is it. This is all you need. You were reconciled by Christ. You will end up holy and blameless before God because of Christ. Why would you go anywhere else? He'll bring you to God. Stand on the rock-solid foundation of Christ. He's saying, don't put one foot on Christ and one foot on your own efforts. You'll fall. He's saying, there's, there's no hope for you there. He says, Christ is the one solid foundation that will never be shaken. He's saying this to a church, remember, who's plagued, the city is plagued with earthquakes. And Paul is saying that the one foundation that will stand for eternity is Christ. So he says, continue in this faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So the question for us is, what are you standing on? Are you standing with both feet firmly planted on Christ's completed work on your behalf? Or are you trying to stand on two foundations? Do you have one foot on Christ and one foot on your own works? And I think a way we can test ourselves, one of the ways is if you have a bad week keeping up with your daily devotions, do you then feel like at the end of that week that you need to be reconciled to God? That you need to do something to restore that relationship with him because somehow you've broken it? Or maybe you've sinned and now feel like you need to pay for that sin because your sin was just too great for Christ to forgive, so now you have to pay for it yourself? Was your faith once firmly grounded on Christ's completed work on your behalf, but now you feel like you've made yourself an enemy of God? And so here in Colossians, it says, stop trusting in yourself to save you, because Christ has already done the impossible. He's taken you, an enemy of God, 
who could do nothing but evil deeds and made you his friend. And he will continue to do the impossible by transforming you into someone who can never do an evil deed again for all eternity. So if you have one foot on something other than Christ, take it off and plant it on Christ because he is all you need and he will save you from start to finish. Now, I realize that there may be some in this room that are feeling like an enemy of God because you are an enemy of God. That maybe you have not yet been reconciled to God through Christ. And there's hope for you. Paul ends verse 23 by saying, this is the hope of the gospel that you heard. And it says, has, this has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul's saying that the same gospel that saved the Colossians is the same gospel that saved Paul, and it's the same gospel that is saving people throughout the whole world. So you've just heard the, the one and only gospel that saves sinners, and Paul is saying that it's for anyone in the world. Christ, the creator of all things, took on flesh and died in the place of sinners, bearing the punishment they deserved so they could be reconciled to God and one day stand before him completely spotless. So if you find today that you are still an enemy, turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ alone and he'll make you a friend of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for Christ who is the one who created us, who holds all of our being together. Even in the midst of our rebellion against you, Christ was still holding us together, keeping us alive, giving us the very breath that we take to keep us alive, the very breath that we were using to curse you and to rebel against you. Lord, you have been so merciful to us throughout our entire lives. And Lord, for you to send your son to reconcile us enemies to yourself is just beyond comprehension for us. And we pray, God, we know that our hearts do not do not see this truth as we ought. Lord, we are, even if we're reconciled, we're still sinners and we still struggle in our hearts, God. So we pray, Lord, that, um, that you would do this work in our hearts, that we would just see how great of a redemption Christ has won for us. Lord, that we who were once enemies are now friends of God, friends of God for all eternity to be completely cleansed of all sin that we can stand before you enjoying fellowship with you to the fullest. There will be no dark place in our hearts where we're trying to keep you out. There'll be no sin that we covet more than you. Lord, there will be no battle of this flesh anymore. We will just completely be enjoying you, free to worship you for all eternity. And God, we pray, Lord, that this would be what we live for. Lord, may this be so clear in our minds, this hope 
of the gospel. Lord, that we would not be tempted to look anywhere else for salvation, but that we would stand here and here alone, standing securely on what Christ has done for us, knowing that he saved us and made us friends of God, and he will take us and make us blameless before you, God. So, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to apply this passage as we sin and struggle, Lord, that we would know that Christ has paid for every rebellion against you, that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves more reconciled to you. Christ has done every part of it. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us now as we go into our small group time. Lord, may it be a fruitful time um, that gives you glory and that we would help each other uh, to stand firm on Christ. I pray this for your glory. Amen. So I have some questions for you guys. Uh, and it's just two questions. So if you want to take out a piece of paper, if you don't already, and you can write it down. The first question is, how do you know if you've been reconciled to God? How do you know if you've been reconciled to God? And the second question is, what can you do if you feel like an enemy of God? And I, I put emphasis on that word feel. I'm not saying that, what can you do if you are an enemy of God? I'm saying, what can you do if you feel like an enemy of God? Because I think that's the thing that maybe a lot of us in this room are struggling with sometimes, is I've sinned and I feel like I've made myself an enemy of God. I feel like I can't run to him. So I want you guys to talk about that in your small groups, see um, what, what kind of ideas you come up with. I'm not saying that there's just one right answer. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we could brainstorm together so that we can encourage one another to stand on the finished work of Christ. All right, so I don't know where you guys need to go, but I think you guys all know where you need to go. So break. Oh.